This is the My Child Will Thrive podcast, and I'm your host, Tara Hunkin, certified functional nutritional therapy practitioner and mother. I'm here to share with you the latest research, expert advice, parent perspectives, resources, and tools to help you on your path to optimizing the health and development for your child with ADHD, autism, sensory processing disorder, learning disabilities, or other neurodevelopmental disorders. My own experiences with my daughter, combined with as much training as I can get my hands on, research I can dig into, and conferences I can attend, have helped me to develop systems and tools for parents like you who feel overwhelmed trying to help their children. So sit back as I share another great topic to help you on your journey. A quick disclaimer, please keep in mind that the information provided is for information and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose or treat your child and is not a substitute for working with a qualified practitioner. This episode of the My Child Will Thrive podcast is brought to you by the Autism, ADHD, and Sensory Processing Disorder Summit. You can sign up for free to watch 10 days of expert interviews and masterclasses at www.mychildwillthrive.com forward slash summit. Now on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the My Child Will Thrive podcast. I am really excited to have with me today a guest that is not what we've had on before. This is a guest that's going to talk to us about how we can customize uh, our learning for our particular children. This is something that we need to do. Often we talk about here all the different underlying health issues that our children have and what we can do about those things. But in the meantime, our kids have to continue to learn and we want them to learn in a comfortable environment, feel successful in their learning and ensure that they're we're doing everything to support them um, thriving in that educational setting. So today I have with me Dr. Emily Levy. She's the founder and director of EBL Coaching, a specialized tutoring program that offers individualized one-on-one home, virtual, and on-site instruction using research-based multisensory techniques. Dr. Levy graduated from Brown University and received her master's degree in special education from Nova University in Florida. She also completed her doctorate degree in education from Nova University. Dr. Levy is the author of Strategies for Study Success, a 17-part student workbook series that teaches students strategies for test-taking, note-taking, reading comprehension, writing, summarizing, and executive functioning, and the author of Flags and Stars, Orton Gillingham Student Workbook Series, which helps students develop their fundamental decoding and spelling skills. Additionally, she's the author of Flags and Stars Multisensory Math, a multi-sensory math program that helps students develop a stronger understanding of core math concepts, including addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and fractions. These workbooks are currently used in schools nationwide. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Dr. Levy. Thank you for having me and for that very nice introduction. Well, it's always good to get a background of of where everybody's coming from. And obviously, you have a deep background in working with kids in this framework of specialized or individualized um, learning, and in particular, a multisensory approach, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But what I want to do today is just start with, can you just define for us what a learning difference is 
and why it's important to identify them? Sure. A learning difference really is defined by a child or an individual who learns differently, who is not neurotypical, who doesn't learn in that traditional way that many other kids do, and really needs a different approach in order to grasp new concepts. Yeah. So how how can parents identify if their child is having a learning challenge? Many learning challenges start at a very young age. If a child struggles with speech at a young age, if they struggle to learn the letters of the alphabet, the sounds that correspond to the letters of the alphabet, they struggle with drawing, with writing, with holding a, a pencil properly. These are some early signs that they may have potential challenges. And then academically, once school begins, many kids who have learning challenges will really have significant difficulty learning how to read, uh, learning how to solve basic math problems, learning how to solve word problems. So really, many of these challenges will start to come about uh, pretty early on in their academic career. So is so is the typical typical student that goes through this, I mean, I think a lot of parents, when their kids start school, do you... T- Do you find that the parents that come to you also are seeing behavioral challenges that come up because of the frustrations around learning? Absolutely. Sometimes not with every child, uh, but definitely some kids become so frustrated that they shut down. They don't want to look at a book. They don't want to do any of their homework. They start to act out and have behavioral challenges really as a way of um, dealing with their issues that are not being properly addressed. Not every child exhibits that, but many definitely do. Yeah. I know for, for me with my daughter, when this was so long ago, she's in college now. So, but it was, it was really that end of day meltdown was always a sign because with girls in particular, sometimes they actually don't have the behavioral challenges in the classroom. It, they, they hold it all. And then it's the end of the day, there's a, a, this great big release of all the stress of trying to learn when it's so frustrating for them. So it is so important that we get a chance to identify what we can do specifically to help them through this. Can you tell me a little bit more about maybe what the typical student that you see in the student profile in your center? Because I know that typically with learning disabilities or differences, it tends to be comorbid with some of the other neurodevelopmental disorders that we talk about here at My Child Will Thrive, like ADHD and autism, but they may, they aren't always, but there is a high comorbidity. Sure, absolutely. So um, at our centers, our specialty really is working with all types of special education students, students who have dyslexia, learning disabilities, ADHD, autism. And while it's not always the case, very often we do see those comorbidities. Certainly autism and ADHD is something that we see fairly frequently. Oftentimes we see dyslexia and ADHD. We see ADHD along with executive functioning challenges. There's a very common correlation. So some children just have one diagnosis and one particular challenge, but many do exhibit those comorbidities. So how do you then, I guess, identify so when when someone comes into your centers then what 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 are your next steps with them to customize that learning approach sure 
typically when a student comes in, I personally need and evaluate that student when I can, just to give me an overall picture of who that child is, what their specific needs are, and what the best plan of action would be for that child. Many of our students come in with an IEP or with a neuropsychological evaluation or a psychological evaluation. So I always take a look at that as well and really factor in all of the pieces and coming up with the best plan of action for that child. And then from there, we come up with a specific individualized plan of action to address their areas of weakness. And all of the work that we do is very much research-based, multi-sensory, and really catered to the individual needs of that child. So let's talk about that. Let's start with what is a multi-sensory approach, because I'm sure many people haven't heard of that terminology before. So a multi-sensory approach means that we engage multiple senses when working with the student, the visual, the auditory, the tactile kinesthetic modality. So for instance, rather than just say working out of a workbook or listening to a teacher, we really try to engage those senses. With reading, for instance, part of the Orton-Gillingham methodology, which I know we'll get more into later, that is a multi-sensory approach. And we integrate tools like colored sand for forming letters, magnetic tiles, whiteboards, all as, as a part of that very uh, highly structured multi-sensory approach to helping students build their reading skills. Okay. Well, so let, let's dive into that. What Orton-Gillingham method... People may have heard of it before or been introduced to it in terms of with the special education, but what, where did it come from and why was that method developed? And then let's talk about a little bit more of the nitty gritty of what it actually looks like. Sure. So that method really was originally developed for children who had reading disorders like dyslexia and really were struggling to learn in the traditional way. So those two individuals, Orton and Gillingham, came together and created this method, I believe, in the 1950s. And it really took off from there. It's an incredibly effective method, particularly for students who have dyslexia, but not only for students who have dyslexia. Almost every child, especially those who are struggling with reading, benefits from this method because it's so multisensory, it's so structured, it spirals and integrates previously taught concepts as we introduce new concepts. And the students tend to really enjoy the multi-sensory approach and become engaged with the learning rather than just being passive in the approach to teaching reading. So what is the evidence for this type of method? So obviously engaging the senses, we talk a lot about, you know, so sensory processing disorder is something that we talk about here as well. Obviously the ability to then integrate all the different senses and engage them. Why is that so important for learning and particularly learning for kids that are struggling? Sure. Well, there's really been a lot of research from many different research institutions about the most effective methodologies and approach for working with students who have learning challenges. And that is using a multi-sensory approach because it really helps to engage them and make them an active part in the learning process rather than, like I mentioned before, more passive learners. And really integrating those multisensory tools also helps kids stay focused and maintain their attention because they're actively involved in the process. So this actual method, is it typically used in a school setting or is it only found in tutoring centers like yours? Some schools that, that do integrate it, usually it's more of the special ed schools that are catered to students who have particular learning challenges that use it. 
there are some public schools and some private and parochial schools that will have some teachers who are trained in the Orton-Gillingham methodology. But from my experience, unfortunately, it is rare because so many students really need this approach and they're not getting it. So I've found that in most circumstances, if the child is not at a special ed school, the Orton-Gillingham method needs to be provided outside of school. Yeah. So the 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 method itself, how is it staged? Like how how does it, so let's say you have a child that is starting out there. You've noticed very early on that they're having trouble even identifying letters and having trouble uh, blending sounds together or anything in terms of the phonics typical way of, of teaching reading to kids. What's the difference? What does this look like? Sure. So there's really uh, different levels within the program. Like I mentioned, it's very much of, of a structured and systematic approach to reading. So at the very beginning level, we work on teaching students how to identify the names of the letters and their corresponding sounds. And we use um, audiovisual flashcards to teach the letters with the corresponding key picture. We have them trace the letters in colored sand, trace the letters in the sky. Sometimes we use shaving cream for additional tracing. Once they've grasped the individual name of the letter and their corresponding sounds, then we work on how to blend those sounds together to form basic words. And we use magnetic tiles to help with that. We use flashcards, we use whiteboards. So again, really engaging the senses. And then once they've grasped how to read and spell very basic two and three letter words, CVC words, we then move on to more complex words, words containing blends, words containing consonant digraphs, vowel digraphs, eventually multisyllabic words, and then eventually words with prefixes, suffixes, and roots, while always reviewing and continuing to integrate the previously taught concepts. So again, highly structured, highly systematic, spirals back, and really very multisensory in its approach. So that part of it, the, the the approach in terms of the bringing back the other things into it, like in terms of the repetitive natures of bringing back the so that they do that. Why is that part so important or integral to the process itself for these particular types of kids? So that really helps for the information to really stick in their long-term memory. If we teach it once and then never teach it again, they're really not going to retain it. So by constantly spiraling back and integrating previously taught concepts, it really helps them to retain the information for the long haul. What what happens when you have a kid? So when you're describing that, obviously, we have children that are much younger. Look, what do you do with the child that isn't identified really early on? They've grasped some reading, but they're still struggling. And it's just that they're really slow. They're not keeping pace with their peers in terms of their ability to read and um, also to comprehend as they get further and further into school. So what happens if you bring a child that's older, like not in, you know, grade one, grade two, in those early reading phases, but they might are have gotten all the way to grade four or five or six or even later and not have grasped basic reading concepts? How do you... How do you work with them in a way that they they can at that particular age? Great question. And it actually is something that we see all the time. We see many older kids that have never received the right support, the right, right diagnosis, and really are at a point where they're struggling so much academically. And that's really where our indiv- highly individualized approach 
to instruction comes in. And that's why we start with that initial assessment so that we can really gauge where the gaps are. Oftentimes, as I'm sure you know, once a student reaches third, fourth grade, there's a big shift from learning to read to reading to learn. And now they start to struggle not just with decoding, but with expressing their thoughts on paper with writing with reading comprehension because they get stuck on so many words, their fluency is so slow that in turn, they're really struggling with comprehension. They're struggling with math word problems if there's a reading challenge. So really the key is identifying where the gaps are. They might not need to start with CVC words from a decoding standpoint, and they probably don't really have the time to do that if they're also dealing with all of their schoolwork and all of their homework to take a step backwards. So what we really try to do is identify where those holes are. Are they struggling to read multisyllabic words or are they struggling to read words with blends or words with consonant digraphs? So wherever they're at from a decoding standpoint, we try to really meet them there and work on building those skills at that point rather than starting from the very beginning. We also want to integrate strategies for reading comprehension, how to read and then identify the topic. Once This is one strategy we, we teach students to identify the topic, which we highlight in blue, then the main idea, which is what the author is saying about the topic. We learned, we learned to highlight that in green. And then we go through and highlight the important salient details in yellow. So we're also teaching them comprehension strategies. And they oftentimes need help with expressing their thoughts on paper when writing. How do I start by brainstorming, then write, then go back and self-check my work? So there's really so many other aspects of learning that start to come into play as they get older and progress through school. Yeah, you're bringing up actually a lot of it's interesting in terms of uh, both study or that development of that the skills that that become so important as they progress in school and then end up in high school and and beyond without those basic skills, they really, really struggle as they hit high school in particular. You see, obviously, a lot of students that are coming in with dyslexia, which is is a reading disability or difference. What um, do, you, do you find that in a number of those same students also are struggling in math or are diagnosed with dyscalculia? Many of them are. Yes, absolutely. So so what um, do what do you do in terms of the approach when it comes to, we've talked about reading, what's the approach or is it similar, but with different materials for dyscalculia or, or math challenges? It's similar in that we, we still use that real multi-sensory approach because certainly students who have dyscalculia need that multi-sensory approach in order to grasp math. And of course, math builds upon itself. So without having those foundational skills intact, they will only continue to struggle as they move through school. We also work at the same time on uh, teaching them how to solve math word problems in a systematic way. So, for instance, rather than just looking at these long word problems and seeing a bunch of language that they don't know what to do with, we teach them a systematic approach. So let's start by identifying what is the, the operation that, that we need to do. Let's circle the relevant information. Let's identify the key words and then let's write the solution in our own words as a full sentence so that we understand what's going on. So we're really, again, using that systematic approach, but applying it to math word problems. We're using that multi-sensory approach to help them understand what it means to add objects, to subtract objects, what it means to, to look at a fraction. How, how do I grasp what one fourth means? So again, using that same structured multi-sensory approach, but specific to math in this case. What do you think the strategies that parents should take in terms of if they, they feel that their, their kids are struggling and they need outside support, one of the things we like to talk about here is how do we work as a team 
with their current teachers, with other practitioners they may be working with, because they may be working with an occupational therapist on handwriting or other things. Same thing, they could be working with a vision therapist on things. What what are how do you work with that team of people that are trying there to support a child? Sure. Well, first off, I absolutely feel the more we can work as a team, the better for every child. It, it can only help and and often does because sometimes in a one-on-one setting, we might not see certain behaviors that a classroom teacher might see and and vice versa. So in terms of parents, really what they should do if they're noticing any kind of struggle at home when the child's doing homework or when they're working with their child, really the first step is they should talk to the child's teacher and see what they're noticing in school. Are they noticing the same kinds of challenges? Maybe the child's exhausted by the end of the day and and therefore showing other kinds of challenges. So really trying to get more of a lay of the land of what is or isn't going on. But ultimately, um, the more we can work as a team, if the child is working with a speech therapist, an occupational therapist, another support specialist at school, the better. So what we try to do is set up um, sort of a a plan that works for everyone, whether it's a monthly check-in, whether it's sending emails, uh, progress emails so that we can all keep each other in the loop, whether it's phone conversations. Conversation. So we're just trying to be realistic with everyone's time and what could work in terms of collaborating together as a team. Yeah, it really does make a great big difference when parents can pull in all the people involved in their child's whatever the work that they're doing with them to make sure that everybody's working on the same thing in the, in in a way that's going to be complementary. So that that's really great advice. So tell us a little bit about the work that you do in your center, what um, what it's all about and where people can find you. Our specialty is working one-on-one, providing one-on-one tutoring to students who have all types of specialized learning needs, different types of learning disabilities, including dyslexia, dyscalculia, learning disorders and writing, ADHD, executive functioning, autism. We provide the services both one-on-one at our learning centers, which are in New York, as well as New Jersey, um, as well as at students' homes. And then really over the past several years, even before the pandemic, we've developed an amazing virtual learning platform, which has allowed us to help kids really worldwide, not just nationwide. And we have amazing technology and resources that we're able to use so that we're engaging one-on-one as though we were in person with the child. So um, it's really been exciting to be able to develop that. But like I mentioned earlier, all of the work that we do is research-based, it's multi-sensory, and it's highly individualized to the needs of each student, which just makes such an amazing difference for these kids. Uh, There's lots of information on our website, which is eblcoaching.com. I write articles all the time on different education topics, and I have a blog. So parents are certainly welcome to learn more about me and about the work that we do on our website. That's great. It is great that you've, I mean, like you said, you even pre-pandemic, you were working on the virtual platform because it is nice to be able to reach people all over the place because not everybody is uh, lucky enough to be right nearby to a lot of these services. So it's wonderful that you're able to do that. And I was curious as to how that virtual worked with such a multi-sensor approach. Can you give us sort of an example of what that looks like? So often what we do is we'll mail a set of materials with manipulatives 
to the student so that both the student and the tutor have the same set of manipulatives and they're able to engage together that way. There are some um, online tools that we use as well. There's virtual magnetic tiles and virtual whiteboards that will also integrate, but we're able to use that that physical multi-sensory approach by actually having the tools. That's great. It's nice to, to see that. Well, it has been a pleasure having you with us here today. And I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to chat because I think that, like I said, we often focus on the health uh, issues, but we also need to focus on what we're going to do with to help our children learn as we work on the underlying health issues that they're they're dealing with. So I really appreciate you taking the time to tell us about uh, your center and what parents can do specifically uh, to help support their children's learning in core areas like math and and uh, reading when they're struggling and 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 at school. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I very much enjoyed it. Wonderful. Thanks again, and we'll see you all again soon. Thanks for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please support us by subscribing and giving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. This is Tara Hunkin, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the podcast or over at mychildwillthrive.com where you can find articles and the free My Child Will Thrive Toolkit too.